So this Jesus that we are studying, he's a passionate man. He's a determined man. He's determined to set his people free from the bondage of sin, death, Satan, and hell. And he will do this. He has come to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness into the marvelous kingdom of light of his son. Jesus' first sermon went really well, by the way. Um, If you remember, it went well, so well, in fact, that the people of his hometown wanted to kill him for it. So I guess that must be the measure of success for your first sermon. If Jesus did it, it must be true. Ironically, this is my first sermon today here in my home church. In the video, Ben was going to say, you need to encourage me. So remember that. I don't want to be mobbed and be thrown into Fish Street as a bus comes. So anyway. So let's pick it up for this week. We'll be in Luke 4, 31 through 37. A little bit of an introduction to the text. This is the first miracle that Luke records, and it's the miracle of Jesus casting out a demon out of a man. And, and at this point, um, I believe that it's really to demonstrate that Jesus has power over the kingdom of darkness. He has power over that dark spiritual realm. And remember, Jesus is God, and if God can throw Satan out of heaven, certainly he can throw a demon out of a man. And if we are going to believe that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Messiah, if we're going to believe that he can deliver us from the kingdom of darkness, if he can deliver us from sin, Satan, death, and hell, then we have to see that he can take us and deliver us from that spiritual kingdom of darkness. So, in other words, if Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, he has to be able to to destroy the kingdom of Satan. It is hot in here, speaking of that. In Jesus' own words, uh, he has to be able to go into the strong man's house. He has to be able to go into the strong man's house. He has to be able to tie him up. He has to be able to take all of his goods. And that's exactly what he does. Jesus goes into the strong man's house. He goes into Satan's house. He plunders everything and he takes the goods. What are the goods? The goods are the hearts And souls of sinners have been redeemed through the cross. And Jesus does this and he proves he can do it because he has total and complete power over demons. And that's what we're going to see. Another interesting thing to note, Luke opens this book. There's about 21 miracles in the book of Luke. And this, he opens with this one. And it's really an astonishing demonstration of Jesus's power. So, Always remember the purpose of Luke writing this book. It was so that we as believers, he wrote a Theophilus, but it was, he had a wider audience as well, that we would know for certain that Jesus is the Christ and that he would provide us an orderly account of his life. So Luke is now going to go through a string of miracles to basically show Theophilus and, and us as readers whether or not Jesus is the Christ. Has he, is he really going to do what he said he would do basically is Jesus is this Jesus a liar okay and I hope you're not on the edge of your seat on that one but he wastes he wastes really no time here showing us how Jesus fulfills uh, Luke 4 18 through 19 remember the prophecy from Isaiah 61 1 through 2 so let's read that back um, just a little bit to remind us so Luke 4 18 through 19 Jesus says this is when he's preaching to his hometown in Nazareth And this is about him. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year 
of the Lord's favor. So the entire gospel of Luke focuses on how Jesus communicates the content of the gospel and the fallout because of that and how he brings healing to the sick and how he preaches the gospel and preaches the good news to the poor and how he brings liberty to the captives and how he recovers the sight of the blind and and sets those who are enslaved free. So in this first episode that Jesus records, we got to remember this isn't his first public miracle. This is the first miracle that Luke records. It's not the first miracle that Jesus did. It's probably not the first miracle that Jesus even did in his hometown of Capernaum. So let's go there finally. Luke 4.31. Jesus has just preached his first sermon in Nazareth. There was a potluck dinner. There's probably some fried chicken. He goes on to Capernaum. He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. So Jesus has just left his hometown, and he goes northeast to Capernaum. And uh, Capernaum is a fishing coast off the east coast of Galilee. And for really the rest of Jesus' ministry, this is really going to serve as an operational base of ministry of sorts for Jesus. And there is some application here for us here in Greenville. You see, uh, this region was where he preached the gospel. It's where he raised and trained up his disciples and then sent them out on a mission to proclaim the gospel to those people in other towns and other regions as well. And we're going to do the same thing here in Greenville. This is where we are going to lay the foundations for ministry. This is where we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to raise up and train disciples to send, out, to send them out to uh, plant churches in other towns in that region and other in other areas as well. The Apostle Paul, the super missionary, I mean, he learned his strategy to do ministry really from the life of Christ. So what we find is when we read all through the Gospels even, going back even this far, to the, through the book of Acts, we see this principle of multiplication of ministry, leaders, spiritual leaders multiplying themselves, making disciples and sending them out. It's all over Scripture. And that's the same strategy, really, that we want to employ here. Verse 32, And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. So in Nazareth, Jesus spoke gracious words about the Gentiles, and his people, they wanted to kill him for it. But here, it seems that we have a, uh, a much different reaction. His teaching astonished them, Because his word possessed authority. Jesus' word possesses authority. So what does it mean that his word possessed authority? What does it mean that his word astonished these people? His teaching was absolutely astonishing. It was absolutely astounding. Because nobody ever had the mind that this man had. Nobody ever had the intellect that they had. Nobody ever knew truth Like this man knew truth. Nobody understood the nature of man like this man knew. Nobody ever understood the scriptures that this man understood. Nobody ever had the ability to communicate in the way that Christ could. It was literally, to hear him speak, it was literally astonishing. It scared people almost. The way he understood scripture. And most importantly, the people were not just astonished in the manner and the ability that he had to articulate his message, the way he communicated. They were astonished because when this man taught, something was different. He did not just quote other, he didn't just base the authority of the text on the opinions of other rabbis and teachers. This man based the authority of the text on himself. 
It was completely different from what anybody had ever heard in those days of Israel. He was God. He had inherent authority. So when he would speak, the words that proceeded out of his mouth were the very words of God himself. And while he's speaking, this authority that he carries with himself is challenged, really. And a man with a spirit of an unclean demon cries out. Let's go to verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice. So we got something strange going on here. We got one of those weird words. We got the demon word in this text. So I do think that it's going to be beneficial for us to take a moment and just describe what exactly do the scriptures teach about demons? Um, as we learn from the Bible, the demons are a, and Satan, that whole spiritual realm is a wicked force of evil spirits. And originally they were created by God as holy angels. Uh, their home was heaven. And there for who knows how long they, they did serve and worship God. But through pride and rebellion, uh, they became evil. Um, their leader, Lucifer, also known as Satan, he rebelled against God and he was able to lead um, what the Old Testament describes as about one-third of the host of heaven in rebellion against God. And as a result of their rebellion and pride, God cast them out of heaven. Sound a little familiar? Uh, they have countless numbers. Uh, they are eternal beings. In the future, what's going to happen to them is we know this because the book of Revelation tells us this, is that these Demons will be thrown into the lake of fire when they're tormented forever. These people are not like us. They cannot be redeemed. They cannot repent even if they wanted to. They hate God with an unlimited zeal and passion. Their whole purpose of their existence is to thwart his purposes. And today they operate to achieve the purposes of Satan and to thwart everything that God tries to do. Uh, But what we're going to see here soon is that God has complete authority over this realm. It's truly amazing. These demons, they are the dominating powers in the lives of people who do not believe in Christ. Everybody who is not a Christian belongs to this realm in the sense of being under their dominating power. John 8, 44 says, all of the unconverted are children of the devil. Ephesians 2 says that non-believers are children of wrath. They are under the influence of the spirit of disobedience who works in them. 2 Corinthians 4 says the God of this world, that Satan, he has blinded their minds so that they cannot understand. Demons are real and Christians seem to fall into one or two camps. Either they completely ignore the fact that there is an evil spiritual realm and they don't study it that much. They... um, They kind of acknowledge its existence, but it doesn't really get them that bad. They just don't really study it that much. I mean, it just doesn't really affect their life. And then there are those who blame everything on demons. Uh, You pour uh, some hot coffee on yourself, and you blame the the coffee demon. Or you sin, and uh, you blame it on... Maybe you have a problem with drinking, and you blame it on the demon of alcohol. So there's two camps. There's those who... Acknowledge their existence, uh, but it doesn't really, they don't obsess over it. And then there are those who just completely obsess over it. There have been entire ministries created 
to combat demons. And I think that's insane. I'd say I fall in the first camp. I just don't really think about demons that much. It's just not something I think about a lot. Uh, Maybe I'm not charismatic enough. I don't know. But I do study demons when I get there in the scriptures. And it is interesting. Um, Sometimes I think we've studied way too much. We can't study enough, but the doctrines of justification, sanctification, all this. But one thing I don't think we study enough is the the doctrine of deliverance that that Jesus has delivered us from this realm. So it's worthy to study. Um, It is worthy to study. It's helpful. Some of you in here, you don't acknowledge their existence. Some of you in here just obsess over it. In the middle of this gospel presentation, so we're in the middle of this, and he is the most powerful preacher that's ever preached on the face of this earth. And this demon, this, this man with this unclean demonic spirit just cannot constrain himself. He's in the presence of God. He's hearing the gospel preached, and he just cannot con- contain himself. He screams in sheer terror. But why is he screaming? He's screaming He's screaming because he's hearing the gospel preached. This gospel that Jesus is preaching, it's going to tear down Satan's kingdom. It's going to tear it down. And this demon, they hate God with unlimited hatred. He hates the idea that God would redeem a soul. He hates the gospel. They hate that. And why would they hate the fact that God would would care to redeem a soul. They hate that because redeemed souls give glory to God. And they hate it. They hate that God would be glorified. And the last thing this demon wants is his kingdom, the kingdom of his leader to be plundered, taken down, and the souls of sinners to be redeemed. So Jesus is preaching the gospel. He's announcing that salvation has come. And this terrifies the demon and the demon screams. And let's go to verse 34. Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So he says three things here. How, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? This is a way, it's an idiomatic way of him saying, have you come, why are you attacking us? Why are you attacking us, Lord Jesus? Why? And how is Jesus attacking the demon? We mentioned this before, the attack is the preaching of the gospel. Paul in 2 Corinthians 10.4 says that the preaching of the gospel has the power to destroy strongholds. And what are the strongholds? The strongholds that have locked in unredeemed souls, unredeemed sinners who have not yet put their faith in Christ who God has not yet saved, but he will save through the preaching of the gospel. So this, this gospel that he's preaching, it's going to smash through these strongholds. It's going to free the captives. It's going to bring them to Christ. And the preaching of the gospel is a direct attack on this demon. And the demon then says, have you come to destroy us? Have you come to destroy us? Yes, but not yet. <laughs> 1 John 3, 8. This is the purpose of God. Yes, I have come to destroy you. Not yet. It's coming. For this 1 John 3, 8, you don't have to turn there. But Jesus says why he was manifest. He says, for the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. And so this demon knows that. He knows why Jesus has come. He knows that Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. They know the plan. 
Uh, they know the way that they're going to go. They know that in the end, God is going to be victorious. They know that God is going to judge them. And he's already thrown them out of heaven. They're, their time is ticking. And they're getting closer and closer to that final judgment day. So he's already been sentenced to eternal wickedness and eternal punishment on top of their wickedness. He says, have you come to destroy us? He doesn't know quite when it's going to happen. In fact, Jesus himself, he doesn't really know when it's going to happen. Only God the Father knows at this point. And he says, what have we to do with you? He's saying, is this the end? Is this, is this the end of my time? Is this that time that you've come to destroy all of us, all of us demons? And he asks this because that's exactly what he expects to happen. And he knows this is going to happen. The coming of the Messiah was going to bring the total destruction of the demonic realm, really. So anytime Jesus is around them, you're going to see them just buck up against him. And we're going to see it over and over again in this, in Luke's account of the gospel. Then the demon says uh, a third thing. He says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So the demon knows who is standing before him. And I find this kind of interesting. And here's why. So in Jesus' life, everyone is unsure of who he is. His family at times thinks he's crazy. You got the Pharisees saying that Jesus is demon-possessed. You've got his own disciples who throughout the whole time are basically unsure of who he is. They're clueless most of the time. The only ones who ever know who Jesus is are the demons. Y'all find that interesting? The demons always. The, people, the guy with the demon, he, he always knows. So... This demon, he's terrified, probably more than anything, I'd say. He's, he's absolutely terrified of the person of Jesus just being in his holy presence. The demon is an unclean, unholy spirit, and he is before holy God. He is standing before absolutely, absolute holiness. No wonder he's terrified. So let's continue just to see Jesus' reaction. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. All right, notice here this is not some type of dualistic battle between good and evil. Jesus simply tells the demon to be quiet. There's no argument. There's no discussion. There's no conversation. There's no prayer. There's no nothing crazy. Uh, it's just absolute power. Be quiet. And get out. To put it simply, folks, this is just, this is absolute miraculous power that we're seeing here. Okay? Nothing evil ever has control of Jesus. Nothing evil ever one-ups him. He has complete power and authority over the spirit that hates him. And the demon wants to stay, but he couldn't stay because Jesus throws him out. And he wants to stay and torment the man. Um, I think I want to make just a footnote here. This man's a sinner. I think he's been living a lifestyle of sin. It's, I don't know if he, he loves his sin. He's enslaved to sin. I don't know if he knows he has the demon in him or not. But he's enslaved to sin and he loves it. And he's a, re a rebel against God. 
but this demon is, is tormenting him. And it's kind of like a spoiled demon. It just doesn't really want to leave. It's kind of a spoiled demon, kind of like uh, when a kid, I'll do, I'll get mad or something. And before I leave a room, I might slam the door. I don't do that a lot. I might, you know, throw a coffee cup or something. But this, uh, you've seen children do it. You know, they get mad and they leave your car or something. They slam the door. Um, they throw something. This demon just comes out of the man just absolutely defiantly to the end. And uh, verse 35 says he does it without doing any harm. And I think Luke shows us this to show that Jesus does have compassion on the man. But the man is not a believer. Um, there's nothing about forgiveness of sins here. Uh, there's no discussion of the man, really. This is the focus of the story is the work of Christ. And he is very uh, compassionate, isn't he? Notice here there's no theatrical magic tricks. You know, you don't see Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, coming through the wall or Keanu Reeves, Constantinople, or is that the name of it? Yeah. And, you know, having a, a cross-shaped shotgun wanting to blow the demon out of the wall and then the demon comes back through the back baptism booth and tries to get him. And Jesus, like, does a kung fu kick and kicks the demon through the wall of the synagogue. No, nothing like that. Those movies are crazy. Nothing like that. He just tells the demon. He preaches the gospel. The demon reacts. He tells the demon to be quiet and get out. Now, I'm not an expert in spiritual warfare, but um, there are such things as these demonic influences, these oppressive forces. Jesus is preaching here. This man is unclean with this demon. He would have been viewed by the Pharisees as an unclean man, uh, unfit for the Torah because of his sin. And Jesus just comes in, dominates, and sets him free. And have we read anything lately about Jesus setting the captives free? Yeah. Jesus is doing here what he said he would do. So let's continue to the final two verses, 36 and 37. All the people he's preaching... After this happens, and they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Matthew 9:33 puts it like this. Jesus had power over demons such that the Jews said it was never so seen in Israel. Nothing like this had ever been seen in Israel, nothing, never. It's nothing like they had ever experienced, and they've never seen anything like this. Unclean spirits do what this man tells them to do. And all the people in the crowd were amazed at awe and fear. It's almost scary to see this happen, to see this and witness this, and they question in their hearts, what is this word? How can this man with a word command unclean spirits to do whatever he wishes. They didn't know it at the time. But the point of the text is that Jesus meets this demon-influenced situation. He totally dominates him. So the demon panics under the preaching of the gospel because the gospel is beginning to tear down the kingdom of Satan. And this is so because Jesus is, in fact, who he says he is. He is the Christ he is God. He is the creator and owner of all things. He does have a power and authority over the kingdom of Satan. He does have power and authority over everything, over all the circumstances in our life, including the bad ones. He has power. He has control of our lives. 
He has control of our circumstances. He has control of evil. And he's on a mission to deal with it. And we're still early in this gospel. And we're on a fast track. I like the, uh, the illustration that Scott did last week where we're on a train, really. And it's really starting to, to go now. We're on a fast track to the cross where evil will be dealt with. The sins of God's people will be laid on Jesus and he will be crushed under the mighty wrath of God. So all of the sins of believers will be dealt with at the cross. All their sin will be paid for. If you're not a believer here today, you are in sin. You are a slave to your sin. And I want you to understand that. Please turn from your sin and cling to Christ. He's your only hope. For the believers here, take comfort knowing that you're dearly loved by God. He loves you. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die a horrible, wretched death on the cross. And we are getting there. And I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the grace that God has shown you. If you are a believer here, if God has given you a new heart, if you fully know the change that has, been, has come in your heart, if you have new desires, if you're a believer, God has shown so much grace to you. He's in control. Just continue to submit and his authority in your life. It's really hot. So I'm going to pray and uh, conclude.